And welcome to the second hour of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Unfortunately, minus the Ben tonight, who is uh, buried in homework. And we have as our uh, our guests uh, this evening on our panel, uh, Nick Pope, a former chief of the, the UFO disc at, desk at the British disc, <laughs> either one, at the uh, British Ministry of Defense. Uh, also, uh, witnesses to the Rendlesham Affair of 1980, uh, known as uh, very often as uh, Britain's Roswell. And we have J- uh, former U.S. Air Force personnel, uh, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, who are speaking with us tonight. And uh, Nick is uh, kind of uh, running the show here and, and carrying us along very ably with some uh, extremely good questions. And uh, to answer questions from listeners here, I just wanted to say that, uh, yes, uh, Liz in Los Angeles, we are taking questions from listeners, but we were going to kind of delay them uh, to the the, the, the last uh, half hour of the show, last 20 minutes of the show, so that we can get through the course of, of our own um, uh, questions and uh, journey through this, this rather amazing uh, event that we are discussing in our series here on Rendlesham. So, Nick, uh, take it away. Okay, I want to kick off this second hour by mentioning two stories which have broken in the mainstream media. One of them is directly relevant to Rendlesham. One is not, but is is interesting nonetheless. Uh, Let me do the latter first. The mainstream media has reported in the last day that Dr. Maslin Othman, from the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, and most people didn't even realize they had one. That's interesting in (laughs) itself. Um, But she has been, and and she's a Malaysian astrophysicist, she has been uh, suggested as the kind of point of contact if, and this is a big if, but if we pick up a message from extraterrestrials perhaps through the SETI program, uh, radio astronomy, uh, perhaps even through something more direct. Now, this all ties in with the Royal Society. Uh, the Royal Society earlier this year held a two-day discussion meeting entitled The Detection of Extraterrestrial Life and the Consequences for Science and Society. They're having a, another two-day discussion meeting in about a week's time, which, like the last one, I'm attending. And um, as I say, uh, Dr. Maslin Othman has been suggested as, as a potential person. I think this is quite interesting because it, it speaks to the question, who speaks for planet Earth? If we pick up a message, um, if we detect an, a civilization, who is it that actually gets to, to kind of say, well, you know, yeah, this is us. And um, it's interesting that it's a scientist. It's, it's not a politician, not a religious leader. Um, it's a scientist, an astrophysicist. Interesting that it's a woman, too. Um, and, and again, perhaps we can get into some discussion on that. But watch this story. Watch this story over the next 24 hours. It's broken in the mainstream uh, news media, and uh, it's, it's going to run. We'll, we can come back to that. The second story is, of course, the fact, and I hope that he can join us, uh, Charles Holt, Deputy Base Commander um, at the Twin Bases. But tomorrow there is a, a press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., UFOs and nukes. The allegation that nuclear weapons have been interfered with, some say even switched off 
as a result of UFO activity. Some people believe that this was part of what happened at Bentwaters. Um, so again, with that brief intro out of the way, perhaps I'll throw that open to Jim and John. Uh, United Nations talking about first contact, UFOs and nukes, who wants to come in on that? Well, I think that, listen, Jim, I think, you know, everybody would uh, would uh, have, has thought about that kind of stuff, about first contact. And, you know, it uh, makes uh, complete sense that it would be a scientist and uh, 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 someone uh, with that background to make uh, to make that, that first contact. Uh, uh, yeah, I find that uh, that's very interesting that's coming out. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the one thing that we've never said uh, with Rendlesham, we've never referred to it as alien contact or ET, as you would say, Nick. Sure. <laughs> and, and let me actually, okay, let's, let's cut to the quick, as we would say here in the UK. Um, you, you say you've never claimed that it's, it's ET or it's alien. If I had to put both of you on the spot and say, look, what do you think this was? What would you say? Can I talk first on this one? Okay, I, I sure, would work on this one because that's part of the problem with this whole incident, okay? Why would I know what it was? And what I mean by that is you can speculate and you can say it was under my hypnosis, possibly time travelers, it could be us, it could be something else, but I think what Jim and I are trying to drive home is we don't know what it was. And we may have been guilty at times of getting caught up in the speculation, but the honest truth is we don't know what it was. And we still don't know what it was. And even under my hypnosis, we were talking clearly about it, and we didn't know how we got to a certain point. We didn't know what affected us and what it was. We know there was something there. We know something affected us, but we're not sure what it is. And... Getting to the first part, it sounds like another agency to me. We're, we're really good at this country and this world of coming up with agencies, and I'm not saying it couldn't be the person that you named, but if there is some other intelligent life out there and they're more advanced than us, I'm sure they're going to pick who they talk to and what they do. And, and um, so getting back to us again, we don't know what it was. And, I mean, that may be hard for people to understand or deal with, but, I mean, what we said earlier, we didn't go out there knowing, other than the, the lieutenant sent us out there on the possible down aircraft. We didn't know what we were getting into, and that's why we're still doing this to this day. We've had health issues, and we're trying to find out what happened to us. And when you add it right up, our chain of command may not have all the answers either, but there is some openness to the fact that they haven't totally come out and helped us either. So that's kind of my take on the whole thing. Yeah, and, and this is Jim. Uh, yeah, you know, we've always said, at least, uh, you know, other interviews and that, uh, you know, we can tell you what it wasn't, okay? That's for sure. We can tell you that it wasn't a conventional aircraft. We can tell you that it was not a Warsaw Pack aircraft, a uh, NATO aircraft. 
Uh, I have been exposed to uh, prototype aircraft since that time during my military career, and even those aircraft couldn't even come close to what we see. So, uh, but does that mean that it is a ET, uh, alien craft? Uh, I have no evidence of that, and, that's, and this whole thing is about facts, Nick. This is not about me making uh, guesses and conjecture of what it could be. Well, it could be anything. We don't know. Um, it's all about evidence. We have no evidence to support that that was an alien craft or uh, uh, extraterrestrial in any nature. All we know is that that craft cannot be designed even now on this planet. You know, but it doesn't mean that extraterrestrials exist. I mean, uh, that is a, that's something we never... Uh, um, we've always stuck to the facts on the case, and, uh, you know, that in our job was to only to report the facts, which we did. We, to go ahead and just guess and, 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 and conjecture on it, um, use that, I mean, it just, it, it's not the way the military does investigations, to guess. That's beyond our pay grade, yes. Sure. Let, let me come back on that, if I might. And, and maybe you've been misquoted. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have, have tried to tell your story for you. One thing that I've heard a lot, and, and again, I think this is something that listeners will, will be familiar with, is, is speculation and it is only that, perhaps. But speculation that this is not extraterrestrial, but, but one concept that has come up repeatedly is, is time travel. Now, it's only a theory, but the whole business of time travelers from the future, whatever you think about that, whether you think it's science fact, science fiction, it's something that I have seen your names associated with. Maybe you've been misquoted, but would you like to speak to that? Yeah, this is John. I'll jump in on that real fast. Um, I wouldn't call it speculation as much as that Jim and I both went under hypnosis and that came out. So we've commented on what's come out under hypnosis, and I'm pretty sure Jim's done the same thing I have. I've always tried to emphasize what I remember, and what came out under hypnosis. And there are some things under hypnosis that come out that I do remember, and there are things that come out of hypnosis that I don't remember. But it, it clearly, under hypnosis, it could possibly have been time travelers. And that is speculation in the fact that we can't prove it is. And it, some of the other things that Jim talks about, facts, well, when we when we tell you what we remember, or, or even if it comes out in hypnosis, those I guess hypnosis is not as factual as what we remember. But this is what we remember happening. This is what we saw. This is what went on. This is what we dealt with. And even with the the what we saw, when we say we can't, we're not saying it's ET because we can't say it is because we've never had any reference to what ET is. But we we've never seen anything capable of doing what we saw happen. Now, does that mean the government doesn't have that? We don't know that, and we, we can't tell you they do. And I even believe when Colonel Hawk said, and I wish he'd come on, said that it was ET in nature, I think when he went on the spot on that, he was more speculating on, well, I've never seen anything else do what I saw, so he put it ET in nature. 
But as far as the hypnosis is where the time travel came up, not what Jim and I, or at least what I've ever said, I, I remember it being time travelers. It's just when we talked about what has come out under hypnosis. And that's the same for me. Uh, it was under hypnosis. Uh, it's not actual memory. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm really saying there. It was under hypnosis, but it, uh, did it uh, happen uh, when we were out there? No. Uh, uh, I, uh, hypnosis is a strange thing. Uh, but, you know, anything's possible. Uh, and I do believe that a lot of us get misquoted because I think people try to put words in our mouth uh, about, uh, you know, it, just because the technology cannot be replicated today uh, doesn't mean it's from a you know, other, uh, outer world type of uh, a civilization or something. You know, those type of claims take very, very strong evidence, you know, and... Uh, um, you'd have to have you'd have to have actually physical evidence sitting here. I don't know, like we chopped off piece of the craft or something. I mean, something would have to be very, very. Uh, uh, the evidence would have to be uh, very overwhelming for anybody to make that type type of claim. And and um, uh, I decided I think it would be irresponsible to make a claim that there were extraterrestrials because we don't know if they even exist. Who knows, Nick? We might be the first. In the universe, who knows? You know. Okay, that that's again, that's very helpful. I'll um, I'll quote again, just because I have I happen to have it open in front of me, Leslie Kane's book, and uh, I'll just quote one sentence from Charles Holt, who finishes his chapter with the following sentence: I do know one thing. Without a doubt, these objects were under intelligent control. That's Correct. what Charles Holt concludes his his statement with. I agree That's with that. That's interesting. Okay. Now, I, I i want to I want to go back because I know, and, and again, I want to be fair, and I want to be inclusive with this interview. I know that there will be some skeptical listeners of, of this show saying, and, and I think one of you alluded to this, that, that hypnosis is very, very controversial. Um, I know from my own government work that, that there's no scientific consensus, even on the true nature of the hypnotic oh, state. Can I cut in here, uh, yep, please? Because yep, no. we, we do have Colonel Halt uh, on the line. Oh, great. Okay, very good. Uh, Colonel, welcome back to the show. It's wonderful that you could call in, and thank you for, for uh, being so accommodating. Uh, I'm going to give it over to uh, Nick Pope, who has uh, some questions that we wanted to ask you. Certainly. Chuck, good, Chuck, good afternoon. Um, uh, great to be uh, speaking to you again. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because this ties in, obviously, with the, the whole Rendlesham Forest incident, is the UFOs and Nukes press conference that you will be attending tomorrow at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Can you just please say a little bit about that and, and maybe give a sense of what you'll be uh, speaking about? Well, basically, I only have five or ten minutes because we're rather limited in what we, you know, the time-wise. So I'm going to try and very quickly outline basically what happened. And maybe, 
you know, add in a few comments of things I've come across recently, talking to people that have recently come forward now that they've retired. Okay, and now I know that you've been very careful in in your words about this, and I know that previously you've you've spoken about um, the ordinance as opposed to anything else. But um, would would you care? Are you able to or not elaborate on on um, the the whole story about light beams firing down at the weapon storage area? Well, keep in mind I was a mile and a half or two miles away. I saw an object in the sky, actually multiple objects, and I saw beams, I would equate them to laser beams at this point, coming down in the vicinity of the weapon storage area. I had to rely on one of the radio nets. Keep in mind we had three radios, three different frequencies with us. We had the security net, the police security net, we had the law enforcement net, and I had the command net. So I was monitoring all three because we were all in close proximity. And I could hear on the security net that the beams of light were coming down in or near the weapon storage area. Are you able to say, and I will understand perfectly if you're not, are you able to elaborate on what was in the WSA? All I can say is there was ordinance in there. <laughs> okay, I understand. I understand that um, position. Now, I... you know the interesting thing, Nick, is when I left the Air Force and was debriefed, I had clearance beyond top secret, and. I was debriefed on a lot of programs and a lot of situations and whatnot, and I asked specifically, may I speak about the incident that occurred at Bentwaters? And the answer was, huh, what's that? And I tried to explain it, and they said, we really don't care. So I can speak freely about what, what I witnessed at, at Bentwaters. So you can speak freely about what you witnessed, but you probably can't speak in terms of specifics about uh, the nature of the ordinance that that was in the WSA? No, that's not subject to discussion. Okay, I, I perfectly understand that, and and I, I am constrained uh, by the same issues myself. May I ask you, please, about the recent comments that uh, Colonel Conrad has made, which which I believe you've seen, uh, which which are a little bit critical of your own stance on this. Well, keep in mind, all the senior officers wanted nothing to do with this. I mean, they kept this all at arm's length. It was extremely disappointing. In fact, it never would have come out. I didn't get it out there. Some of them, uh, through, how shall I say, their actions and behavior got it out there. And I would have been very content if this whole thing just went away. Uh, Conrad was well aware of what happened. He was well aware of the memo I wrote. He laughed when he read it. He read it before I left, let it go to Moreland. Uh, Williams was either, either read it or was aware of it. Everybody was aware of it. It was no secret. I was the fall guy. You know, they left me hanging out there. Right, you do a memo to the MOD and uh, it'll all go away, which it would have done if Sam Morgan hadn't played the tape at cocktail parties and if the Third Air Force hadn't released the memo. Okay. Earlier in the show, I uh, quoted uh, from your chapter in Leslie Kane's book, uh, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And these are your words, which I I just wanted to ask you about. Uh, You wrote, and, and I'm quoting directly here, 
OSI operatives harshly interrogated five young airmen, some of them in shock at the time, who were key witnesses. These men reported later that the agents told them not to talk about the UFO events or their careers would be in jeopardy. Drugs such as sodium pentanol, often called a truth serum, when used with some form of brainwashing or hypnosis, were administered during these interrogations. And the whole thing has had damaging and lasting effects on the men involved. May I just ask you, because I, I know we've got uh, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs on, on the line here. That's obviously a direct quote from you. Is that what you were told by the guys, or is that what you know through other sources? I received that secondhand from individuals. Okay, because I know, obviously, that some of the individuals concerned are, are talking about uh, the, the, their aspiration for congressional hearings and perhaps even legal action on, on that. What would your view be on that, if you don't mind me asking? Well, that would be up to them. I, I, you know, I can't support them other than I can say at that, at the time or soon thereafter. That's what I was. It was related to me. I was not okay. present. Yeah, was that relayed to you by the individuals concerned, saying this has happened to us, or was it from OSI personnel or other personnel? No, from the individuals. The OSI would never have admitted that. Okay. Now. As we approach the 30th anniversary of, of these events, um, I, again, I, I guess I'd just like to ask you personally how you feel about this 30 years on and, and where you feel that this, this might go. How, how can we take this forward? Uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure it's going to go forward. I would like to see it go forward to find out you know, what we know. We obviously know a lot more than, than you know, this has been revealed publicly. But uh, I can tell you, things like this are so compartmentalized and so well-buried that to get them out is almost impossible. Okay, and again, without wanting to preempt tomorrow, but um, can, can you give us perhaps a, a sense of what you'll be saying tomorrow at the UFOs and Nukes press conference? I'm just going to basically tell the story as quickly as I can and just relay some recent information. Okay, because, again, I, I appreciate the difficult position that you find yourself in in talking about words like ordinance and, and perhaps not wanting to elaborate on that. But at the end of the day, others will say, well, the title of this event is UFOs and Nukes, and you are speaking at that event. So... Well, I didn't you know, provide the subject... Okay. <laughs> I was asked to relay what happened and what I know. Okay, well, I, I think a lot of people, and I know I've spoken to some uh, mainstream media personnel about this in, in the U.K. I know this is going to get a lot of coverage, so um, I, I hope that this, this uh, puts the issue into the public domain, uh, which is where it should be. 
Now, keep in mind, most people, when they think of the government, they think of an organization that's well-coordinated and works well together. You and I both know the government's made up of many different agencies. They compete for a mission. They compete for money. They compete for attention. They compete for a lot of things. They share things when it's convenient, and when it's not, they don't. There's probably five, six, or seven agencies that do have a program that looks at UFOs. No, that's very interesting that you should say that. And um, indeed, uh, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs have spoken about, and, and I think I'm getting this right, they spoke about potentially six parallel investigations into the events at Rendlesham Forest after the event, including yours, Colonel Conrad's, uh, AFOSI, MOD. Uh, again, we, is there anything that you'd like to add to that? No, I think their numbers are pretty close, but keep in mind, Conrad didn't do an investigation. He stood back. He let me do everything and bring it to him. That's why I had the statements. That's why I had the tape. The tape he had that later fell into Sam Morgan's hand was a copy. Okay, and he's he's made, um, Colonel Conrad has made some fairly robust comments, I, I think, about uh, your views on the interrogation and the druggings. Again, would, would you like to address that? No, but I'll tell you what, there's an OSI agent that's retired that lives in Norwich, and I'm not going to give you his name on the air, but if I think it would be very interesting. And uh, okay. Jim and uh, John both know who he is. Okay, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm just struggling to think. I've got Georgina Bruni's book here. I'm. I'm thinking it's not Wayne Persinger, is it? Um, I'm uh, not going to any names. Okay. <laughs> we well, you and I will be meeting. Um, I, I think at the uh, Bay Area UFO Expo conference in in um, uh, San Jose at the end of October. So I. I I suspect you and I may have one or two interesting discussions about all this. Certainly off the record. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Com completely understood. Completely understood. All right. Uh, does, uh, do uh, John and Jim have anything to, uh, to ask or comment about uh, while we have Colonel Holt with us? No, not at all, but I'm looking forward to seeing Chuck in uh, San Jose to their, wherever we're going there in California. I have one question, and it's not directly at him, but the press release that's on Fox News, I believe, says that it was a dish shape that was beaming lights down into weapons storage area. Do you know anything about that, how that got out there, Chuck? I can only relate what the tower operator told me. He saw a disc shape operator. I think you know who the tower operator was, WSA tower yeah. operator. Yeah, I'm well aware of who that was, yes. Okay. Well, do we have time for, uh, Chuck, do you have time to stay with us for one question from a listener here? Sure. Okay. Uh, this has been sitting here since April when we, you had our first appearance on the show here, and this is from uh, Russell McNair, and Russell lives in Crofton in Yorkshire in the UK. Uh, in order to create momentum around this case, I believe from a UK perspective, far more should be made of the nuclear weapons 
on site without the knowledge of the British government. Now, if if there were such weapons, right, when weapons uh, were introduced on the, the Greenham Common Base with public knowledge, it was headline news for months with protests outside all the time. Uh, what are your views on this? Uh, I think I have an ideal contact, and he refers to a former Labour cabinet minister. Again, no names over the air, uh, who would be well worth approaching. Uh, I, and that, that leads to a question that has come in from several people, including me. What, what Was the secrecy so great because of the nuclear weapons, alleged nuclear weapons, or because of the UFOs? Or was it a mixture of both? I think it was primarily the UFOs. I can't comment on weapons. But, okay. Uh, I think, I think that... UFOs are treated very similarly, no matter where they, you know, appear or whatever they do, as far as the military is concerned. Okay, that's fair enough. All right, uh, that was the only one directed directly to Colonel Halt. Um, and if we have, um, if you can continue to stay with us, uh, there are more questions. I'll stay you could... for a little. I can stay for a little while. I've got okay, great. this evening, but I, I can stay for a little while. Okay, appreciate that. Okay, uh, here's another one. This is from Bill Burt in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Bill asks, uh, Larry Warren has indicated that he has received a, quote, certain type of, quote, drugged, debriefed, debriefing, uh, unquote, after the event, uh, slash S, and others have made similar claims, and I think he did not, he did get these nasty treatments. Who was responsible for ordering this line and type of questioning? I don't know how they expect you to know that. Uh, did uh, Colonel Halt receive similar, quote, drugged, unquote, debriefings? And if not, why not? What has been discovered about this particular area of the event? We had talked about this earlier, but uh, Chuck wasn't with us for the discussion. Well, let so, me say, I mean, I, I'm firmly convinced that Larry Warren was drugged into this. Now, I don't think Larry Warren was a participant. Larry Warren may have been on the peripheral somewhere, uh, not, not on, how should I say, not currently on duty. He may have been in the background somewhere. I think Larry Warren got himself drugged into this thing. I think Larry Warren was probably significantly, let's say, debriefed, which may have included drugs and Lord knows what, and and what then became a dupe, in my words, and a how shall I say, a bit of disinformation. And I, Larry and I have talked about this, and, he, and we've talked openly about it, that he's been worked over, and I think he's been, been used. No, that it's happened. We've seen it. Anybody who's been involved in Intel at all. Here's a question about Bent Waters from Paul Forsberg in Pontiac, Michigan. And uh, has any of the panel had continuing contact with anything he, quote, met at Bent Waters? And I'm, I don't think he's talking about interrogators. Or have they had any further paranormal experiences at all? In other words, was, was this an isolated incident in your life? Or have other things followed it or preceded it as far as paranormal experiences in general or UFO experiences in particular? Let me say two things. First of all, I have never been formally debriefed or interrogated. The closest I came to that was John Alexander, you may know him, non-lethal weapons, mm -hmm. on his own, I believe, came out to see me back in about 1992 or 93. He was in Elkirk then and had a lot of questions. I don't think he was debriefing me officially. And uh, he and I bantered back and forth. So I've never been, as far as I know, officially debriefed. It's kind of disappointing, probably because of my position. It was easier just to uh, get Larry Warren to run around with his hair on fire and discredit the whole thing. And, leave, <laughs> okay. and you know, just leave me alone. Okay. I'm, I'm firmly convinced of that. 
But you have had no no further, you know, aside from any government activities, you've had Prior no... Prior to or after, I've had no contact with any aliens, any incident. I've not seen any strange things. I mean, as far as what you would call a UFO, before or after. Nobody's I'm not rattling change in your attic. Okay. okay. I'm not a UFO follower. And what I basically do, I know Jim and John had a very, very intense personal experience. Mine was a bit at a distance. I've been able to put it on the shelf. I don't deal with it. I don't worry about it. You call me, somebody calls me. If you're legitimate and have a reasonable question or whatever, a response it comes forth. Other than that, I, you know, I don't pay any attention to it. Sure. Well, we appreciate that, Chuck. Uh, what about the other two gentlemen, Jim? Uh, John, have you had any further paranormal experiences of any kind, uh, particularly no. those of the UFO variety? Jim. Yeah, this is Jim. You know, I never believed in UFOs before the incident, nor after. I have never seen one. Matter of fact, I've never seen a UFO. So uh, the answer is no. I have not had no paranormal type of incident or anything like that prior to or after. And for that matter, I've never seen a UFO. Okay. All right. Uh, Nick, it's all yours. Can I ask a question? Can I get in this for a second? This is John. By all means. Chuck, I have a question for you. Um, we were going to talk about this in a different show before, but your tape. But the thing that I stood out to me, and you always say that you didn't have as an intense encounter as Jim and I, but there was a point when you guys were there, and you on the tape you talk about the object coming over the top of you and beaming a beam of light down at you. And your voice, your, your voice is quivering, and it says, this is unreal. And I, I would just like to ask you to comment on that particular part of the incident. And I've always wondered how you could say that that's not as intense as what Jim and I went through. Well, I guess the way I, to put it in perspective, yes, I was extremely concerned. I had no idea what was happening. I had great concern for myself and the people with me. You know, is it a warning? Is it a signal? Is it a weapon? We didn't know. We had no idea. From what I understand, you actually came near literally touched or whatever, perhaps had a personal contact with whatever you encountered. Ours was a bit at a distance. That's why I say that. There, there is a question. And one, other, uh, and one, other, one other question, if I could follow up. Please. A lot of people now have come out and talked about your, you commenting on it being ET in nature now. And I know you did a press release on it. But could you explain to them why you said it was E.T. in nature and your feelings of whether you really think it was E.T. in nature or not? I think that would help clear up a lot of things. Well, the reason I say that, I say either extraterrestrial or another dimension because it was well beyond any known phenomena, any known thing that we have. It, it was, you know, in the realm of things people dream about, the way something could change size, shape, and move to speed, change angles, they have tremendous... G forces pulled, uh, the way it went from place to place, uh, the way it went across the radar screen. It just, there, there's nothing at that time, and even today, that could do anything like that. Okay. So, do you feel, do you feel it was an ET, or do you just feel it's something unknown? No, I think it was either ET or from another dimension, which I would say falls in the same category. Okay. I hear you on that. Uh, there is a is, is that all, gentlemen? Because uh, there's another question here. Uh, this is from Charlie in Winterset, Iowa, 
And he points out that there is, I guess this is more in the nature of an observation, uh, there is a physical evidence that we haven't talked about in the form of radio interference. Uh, Ed, Ed uh, Kabanseg was, was uh, left in the tower, is that correct, because of this interference and had to relay information? Is that correct? That's correct. Oh. Okay. No, well, he was no, left in the tower. Sorry. Yeah, it's Nick Pope here. Um, he he wasn't in the tower, as I recollect. Um, he he was sent out, but told to stay further back because of of the comms interference. Is that right? Oh, okay. All right. All right, well, that, that's the point that, he's, that this is some sort of evidence uh, in itself that something strange is going on. Also, he mentions uh, that the animals were upset or uh, were believed uh, that they were hearing things that were out of the range uh, of the humans. Uh, is, is this is this uh, correct? Is anyone uh, familiar with, with the animals on the local farms being upset during this incident? I can say that we heard the the cattle. And the forest animals were very upset. It was very obvious. And then they got quiet. Okay. And right. they said that you, you Chuck, right. were concerned for the farmer. I was very concerned for the farmer because when we were watching the object that was the glowing object that was in the field between us and the farmhouse, it was reflecting off the light. It was very close to the farmhouse. And it, it appeared that the farmhouse was on fire. My concern was that it was close enough to the farmhouse that it may have been affecting somebody in the farmhouse. But okay. So, so Char- Charlie has it. Okay, well, Charlie has it pretty pretty accurately here. Then uh, pointing out to this is his point being that various things were happening above and beyond any experiences you fellows were having uh, that indicated something odd was going on. And uh, here, okay, all right. Well, there were one or two things that may not be relevant, but here's another. This is also from Charlie in uh, Iowa. Uh, Jim and John did not know what it was, uh, but you know, poor our. our dialogue just a few moments ago uh, nor do i but it was not some conventional but it was not some conventional phenomenon created by humans the question then becomes what or who created it which leads us back to what lord hill norton said as jim said we are all debunkers in the sense that we want to eliminate honest mistakes and deliberate hoaxes and simply want to know what it was if the governments don't know dot 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 so not sure his point here, but Lloyd Hill Norton uh, has commented on this case uh, a number of times, and I don't, but, but I've certainly had no personal involvement. Uh, I, I don't want to horn in here. Let me hand it back to Nick uh, for uh, if we were to proceed. We have about uh, 15 minutes left. So. Okay. Let, yes. Let me uh, address Lord Hill Norton's comments on this because I think this is very important. Lord Hill Norton was the former chief of the defense staff and chairman of NATO's military committee. So in terms of seniority and rank and position, basically what you're talking about is is uh, the equivalent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, at, if, if we're talking um, to Americans. And Lord Hill Norton said this. He said, look, in relation to the Bent Orders incident, there are only two possibilities. He said, firstly, what, what these people said happened, they all made up. And they were all lying and hallucinating. And, and therefore, he said, um, you know, personnel at one of the most sensitive military bases in the entire NATO network. Um, 
you know, these guys were making it up. Or, he said, or these people were telling the truth. And what they said happened actually happened. And what Lord Hill Norton went on to say was, was this, and it was very poignant and, and true. He said, in either of these events, he said, this simply must be of defense significance. Now, MOD always says that the whole party line on UFOs is, is this is of no defense significance. But Lord Hill Norton said, look, either this happened and it's true, or they're all lying. And he said in either event, it's of defense significance. And that's incredibly important. I mean, you know, imagine someone like Colin Powell going on the record on this. This is the equivalent. This is, this is where Lord Hill Norton's testimony sits. I have one thing to say to that is, do you think we would really have come forward if we were out there hallucinating or whatever? I do have one serious regret because Lord Hill Norton contacted me in writing before he passed away and, and asked me to meet with him, and I didn't. I was still on active duty then, and I really wish I had, but I regret that. Well, well, Lord Hill Norton, I, I met, I briefed Lord Hill Norton several times, uh, and believe you me, as as a middle-ranking uh, officer briefing a former chief of the defense staff, so uh, a five-star military officer, uh, that's about as scary as it gets, and, and I know Jim and John will appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, it was very, very scary. But um, he was genuinely interested in this. He genuinely did not know what to make of these incidents, and and um, I, I really didn't know what to tell him. I was, you know, I I served 21 years in the Ministry of Defence. This was the one time where I simply didn't know what to say or what to do. Hmm. I, I have a question for you, Nick. This is John. Okay, do you feel, being that you worked inside the Ministry of Defense, and that Lord Hill Norton was asking these questions, that that uh, that he was giving the information the the correct, proper, and was giving what they had on it, or he was stonewalled on it and kept from certain information? And if so, he was kept from this information. Why would they keep it from somebody like him? Well, as as you know, probably as as well or better than I, access to classified information is is determined firstly by your security clearance, um, how high it is, and, and secondly by your so-called need to know. And and it was interesting, even Lord Hill Norton said to me personally, I, I remember him saying to this, I can't I can't penetrate this. I can't get inside what people know or don't know about UFOs. He didn't know. Now, maybe there wasn't, maybe there wasn't a cover-up or, or some great conspiracy. I, I, I don't know. But he just couldn't get inside it. I don't think he's the only senior military or civilian leader that's had that problem with something that's very compartmentalized. 
yeah, he he was he was incredibly frustrated about the whole situation. I mean, and you know, I I met him several times. I briefed him on this issue. Um, you know, he he just did not know where to go with this. I've got another question for you, Nick. I'm going to put you on the spot. Was there stuff that you are aware of that's classified that you can't talk about or couldn't tell him? Um, yes, I guess. But I, I suppose it, it worked in reverse, too. There were probably many, many more things that he knew um, because of his far more senior rank than me uh, that he couldn't discuss with me. But none of this... Honestly, hand on heart, none of this it amounts to what I would call a, a, a sort of spaceship in a hangar smoking gun. None of us knew that this was real. None of us knew that, that any of this was extraterrestrial, interdimensional, intertemporal. We have no idea. And that's, in a sense, the scariest thing about all of this. We don't know what this is. Even those of us in government, we don't know. Let, let me just clarify. Now, Lord Hill Norton passed away uh, some years ago. Yeah. Which is why he's not on our panel tonight. Just yeah. To make that clear. All right. So uh, it's not as if we can ask him. Perhaps uh, it has been suggested by... Uh, everyone from Ben all the way through some of our listeners, that we're dealing with something that is so alien, so different uh, from a source that perhaps we cannot imagine that we don't even know what questions to ask, and, and that, that, that that is why, at least partially, it is so scary. Uh, I mean, how do we even begin to approach something if that's the case? Okay, I've got a question for both. Okay. I wanted to ask Nick and Chuck a question on that, and then uh, whatever. Nick, is there anything there the British are still holding back on this incident? And Chuck, do you feel the United States government has stuff that on this incident that hasn't been released will never be released? Well, I can say okay. I don't think they have anymore because they don't know. Yes, I would. I I would absolutely agree with with. Chuck on this, I, I think that the problem, the problem, you know, it's not like some conspiracy theorists believe, i.e. that government know all about this and are covering up some sinister truth from the people. The scariest thing, actually, is that those of us in government, actually, we don't know what this is. We don't know well, what this Right, but what I'm going at is more of that if both governments looked at this and did an investigation, are they still holding back what they determined on the investigation, some of the documents and tapes and everything else? Do you feel that both governments are still sitting on that is what I meant? Okay. The British government has pretty much declassified and released just about everything that it knows about the Bentwaters incident. But if you look at the British government's files on this, you will actually see some fairly robust criticisms of the Americans, and particularly in relation to the issue that um, General Gabriel, Commander-in-Chief 
United States Air Force in Europe, uh, traveled from his headquarters at Rammstein, took possession of various items pertaining to the Rendlesham Forest incident, and didn't then brief that back to the British government. And, and again, this is all a matter of public record. This is not me saying this. This is, this is actually all in the MOD's case file. So this is a serious issue. You know, the interesting thing is, Nick, I was there in the conference room when he came. He never approached me, never said anything other than shook my hand and said hello. Never asked a sorry, question. Who, sorry, say, uh, uh, when you say who, he, who, who's that? Uh, General Gabriel came. I was, in the oh, conference right. room. I was in the conference room when we had the meeting with him. He never said anything other than shook my hand and said hello. Other than that, he never asked any questions of me or anything. Okay, but but the, the the Ministry of Defense file says that General Gabriel, CNC Yousefi, flew in and took possession of your tape recording and maybe some other matters too. Um, do, do you know what happened to that? What else was taken? What happened? He, he did not. He did not get my tape recording. I have the original tape, and well, Morgan has a copy probably, but. I'm sure he did work with the OSI. He may have gotten a copy from the one that Ted Conrad had. He may have taken some other documents. He did not ask for the statements I took from Jim and and, and John and others. Uh, that's what puzzles me. He must have relied entirely on the OSI and uh, other agencies that were there. Okay, and again, I, I can't remember if, if um, we've covered this, but are, are you able to talk about any of the US, uh, the AFOSI personnel who were involved in the investigation? Well, I can tell you the OSI commander was Chuck Matthews and his deputy. Uh, you've mentioned his name earlier, Wayne Persinger. There were other agents there, but there were, I think, a total of six or seven at that time, I think. Okay, so so Chuck Matthews and Wayne Persinger, is, is that have I got that right? That's correct. Chuck Matthews was the commander, or whatever his position was. We called him the commander. He, they all wore civilian clothes. He was a major and perhaps a lieutenant colonel at the end, and Persinger was a master sergeant or a senior master sergeant. And they had uh, four or five officers, or excuse me, NCOs that worked for them, including some of our security police who from time to time helped them out, one of which is now a, an OSI agent. Okay. I, I'm guessing you're not going to be able to name names there, but I have to ask, would you like to name a name? Uh, name what name? Uh, the, 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 the agent that you just mentioned. Well, I just mentioned two names, the commander and his, and his deputy. Okay. Um, okay. We, we may have misunderstood each other there. Um, where do you see that I, I guess this is my final question here how do you how do you take this forward now? Where do we go from here? Well, I think we need to put everything we can out in the public realm and uh, see if we can get enough reaction to get something going but I'm not expecting big things i I've been disappointed before yeah. do, do you think that um I, I mean some people have spoken about congressional 
uh, hearings, even legal action. Do, do you think that that's an option? I've talked at great length to two congressmen, including uh, Senator recent passed away Senator Byrd and his senior staffers, along with uh, some other senators, and uh, they were not able to go anywhere. And if Senator Byrd couldn't go anywhere, uh, you know, good luck. Okay. General, gentlemen, I'm afraid we're almost out of time on the show here, and, and I, the sincerest thanks. All, all of you have, have participated so faithfully and worked so hard to make this uh, a, uh, a successful series. We really appreciate that. Uh, certainly, um, to thank tonight uh, our, our guests, uh, Jim uh, Penniston, John Burroughs, uh, Chuck Halt, and certainly our uh, anchor uh, this evening, the great Nick Pope, our good friend and uh, prolific writer on this subject. Now, uh, let me just um, uh, point out that this show will be available in podcast uh, very shortly, probably within the next few hours. Uh, our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, is the show site. You can hear podcasts of over 200 shows, plus all the uh, now four Rendlesham series shows that we have uh, have done, uh, both on CBS and on Achieve Radio here. Uh, you can also uh, buy my books. Uh, don't forget to do that. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter. And uh, subscribe to uh, earthfiles.com. We have a nice link to that. And we do urge you to support uh, the uh, justice for the 81st uh, at, at Bentwaters uh, on the Facebook uh, page that we, do, we describe, Justice for the Bentwaters 81st Security Police at Rendlesham Forest 1980 on Facebook. Uh, there is a link to that from BehindTheParanormal.com that will take you there very easily. Uh, and if you can't get enough of us, uh, we'll see you again in two hours at 7 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Uh, for our regular weekly show on CBS Radio uh, in uh, Boston, Detroit, and Seattle, and on www.newskyradio.com and parax.com. Uh, ben will have recovered from his homework uh, to join us, he, he promises. So we'll have him uh, on the show this evening. It's a one-hour show. Our guest will be the astrophysicist, Dr. Bernard Heche, uh who is working hard to get mainstream science to pay more attention to God and to the paranormal. That should be an interesting subject. On our Monday drive time show in the Boston Providence Worcester Triangle on WON 1240 AM, com, we'll welcome our friend Peter Robbins, uh, author with uh, Rendlesham Witness Larry Warren of uh, Left at East Gate. Uh, which is the book, uh, one of the primary books, a certainly British bestseller about this very case we've been discussing this evening. And the subject, however, will not be Rendlesham. It will be the UFO corporate connection, something a lot of people don't think of. And we will see you back here on Achieve on October 31st, Halloween, uh, for Return to Rendlesham 5. That will be co-hosted by Peter Robbins. It was the only one we could get to do it on Halloween, I guess. And again, free podcasts of all the shows are always available at BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, again, gentlemen, if you're still with us, uh, thank you all uh, for being with us this evening. Thank you especially, Nick, for carrying uh, the show uh, so well. And I want to leave you with a quote from the great, though mysterious, American author Ambrose Bierce, who asks much the same question I ask today, uh, these days. A ghost never appears naked. He appears either in a winding sheet or in his habit as he lived. To believe in him, then, is to believe that not only have the dead the power to make themselves visible after there is nothing left of them, but that the same power inheres in textile fabrics. Supposing the products of the loom to have this ability, what object would they have in exercising it? And why does not the apparition of a suit of clothes sometimes walk abroad without a ghost in it? Or we might add, why don't, you know, 
they close uh, rather than UFOs land in Rendlesham Forest. But in any case, thank you all very much again. It's been a great show, and we will see you next time on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Best of luck, and God bless. AchieveRadio.com. Hi, folks. This is Paul Eno, co-host of Behind the Paranormal here on Achieve Radio. We're very pleased to have as our sponsor New River Press and Barking Cat Books, publishers of some of the most unusual New Age titles on the market today. Along with four books by moi, New River Press offers the blockbuster on animal communication, Hear All Creatures, The Journey of an Animal Communicator by Karen Anderson, Shadows on My Shift, Real Life Stories of a Psychic EMT by Psychic Medium Sherry Lee Devereaux, Achieve